Acts chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to read just a few verses. It says, And in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, Look ye out among you seven men of honest rapport, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word through life groups. Father, I pray, remove me, but place your Holy Spirit behind this pulpit. Let he that has an ear, let him hear. Father, we give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise in Jesus' name. And we all said... Before you're seated, shake your neighbor's hand and tell them the rhythm is going to get you. <laughs> rhythm is going to get you. Mm -mm 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 Don't lie. Don't, you know that was going through your head. I like her name, too. Come on now. Stefan. Saying, Pastor, why do you say that? You'll see exactly what I'm talking about just a little bit. I'm here to tell you this morning that you and I are in a battle. We are in a battle for our hearts. We're in our battle for this heart. We're in a battle for our mind. And we're in a battle for your soul. Are you hearing me this morning? These are the things that the enemy will try to distract you with because he knows the damage that you and I can do to the kingdom of darkness. Because if he can distract you, he can disarm you. And an unarmed Christian is like an unplugged toaster. It will never get hot until it gets plugged in. The other day I was flipping through some videos on YouTube and I came across a, a, a video that kind of struck me. Uh, you know, a lot of people always try to get you, and I don't really watch all the videos. They try to make predictions, and, you know, people try to do all the prophecy of this. And, but there was one video that got me of a prediction, and I don't know if any of you have seen it. On your own, you can watch it. His name is Paul Harvey, and he made a prediction back in 1965. I did my research to make sure that this guy was legit because, you know, people put up fake videos all the time. But this man, his name was Paul Harvey. He was a radio announcer, not necessarily a preacher, a prophet, a Christian, uh, actually, no, he was a man of God. He did believe in God. Uh, but he wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a pastor. Didn't have a pulpit in a church. But he did have a pulpit with a microphone that was radio waved all across America. His name was Paul Harvey. And he said this. He made a statement of a poem, if you will, called, If I Were the Devil, by Paul Harvey. And he said this. If I were the devil... If I were the prince of darkness, I would, of course, want to engulf the whole earth in darkness. I would have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I would not be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. The. So I should set about, however necessary, to take over the United States of America. I'd subvert with the churches first. I begin with a campaign of whispers, with the wisdom of a serpent. I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper, the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. 
I would confine that what is bad is good and what is good is square. And the old, I would teach them to pray. I would teach them to pray after me, our Father, which out in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors on how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Remember, this is 1965. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse and then from the schoolhouse and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and I would deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were Satan, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have, and I would give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of ambitious. And what would you bet? I couldn't get the whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work and patriotism and moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep on doing what he's doing. Powerful statements from a radio announcer back in 1965. Now you're probably saying, well, pastor, what does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with us as the church? My friend, it has everything to do with our voice. See, what are you concerned with? What are you distracted by? The enemy knows if he can get you distracted, he can unarm you. And if he can unarm you, not necessarily with your hands, but unarm you with your voice. Listen, in today's day and age, even the way we look at church has changed. The way we go about church has changed. I know that today is opening kickoff, pretty much, besides from Thursday, for football. And in our culture, football is huge. It's huge. Football has gotten even more big than church. Now remember, mind you, just about a century ago, football was kind of irrelevant. Study history. Football wasn't that big. Matter of fact, I don't even know if it was really all that huge within the United States. There were sporting events, but nothing as big as now. Matter of fact, as you study uh, uh, history, not just church history, but history in America, the biggest buildings in America... We're churches. Now, we're lucky if we can get a small little storefront. Things have changed. The way we look at things. So, as I was going about it, I said, man, what would it be like if we were to look at church like we look at football? So, I was like, hmm. So, I did a little research. I want to show you a little video here of what if church was like the NFL? Just saying.
just about ready for the big show to start here in sunny Steepleville. And what a day it is. It just doesn't get any better than this. I'm Bob Cobb, joined by my colleague, Taffy Babbler. And you're looking at beautiful aerial shots provided by Airship Worship, now broadcasting in HD. And you love to see the players getting focused, getting their mind right, getting in the proverbial zone. And here are the starting lineups brought to you today by Stump and Sons Altars, keeping knees at ease since 1933. Danver Bossy, pastor, the Bamford Theological Seminary. Jerry Woodwind, worship, Eastern Southwest Central School of Divinity. Frank Banter, associate assistant to the intern of the executive minister of community ministry, GED. Jerry, how is the injury? Uh, you know, it's, it's fine. There's some soreness. Uh, x-rays were negative, but I should be fine as long as I stay away from B-flat. So. Are you worried about re-injuring it? Um, you know, as long as I, I play hard and, and play at my pace, uh, I think I should be fine. Have you ever bet on attendance? What? Have you ever taken anabolic steroids? No. Have you ever lip-synced worship? <laughs> Listen, we're about to get started here. And here's the kickoff. And it's a slow play. Wow, that's big. You're the home team. You want to have a surprise or two up your sleeve. What I call mix-it-up ability. It sounds like the new Darlene Zek or, or Zeke or Zeku. Zeesh. Is it Zeechi maybe? Uh, Darlene Zek. Uh, let's go to our sideline reporter, Billy Sturpot. This uh, crowd seems a little bit lethargic, but uh, this town is known for late crowds. So maybe by halftime, they'll be a little more into it. It looks like Johnny Weems is headed for an early exit. Chiefs fan. They play at 11. Oh, my. Look at this. A huge error. Enormous. You're the media team. You're leading the league in fumbles. You can't let this happen. You can't let this happen. Terrible timing, especially on a new song. Look at this crowd. It, it's bedlam. Pandemonious. Look at Maggie Jensen, veteran over loud singer. She hasn't missed a word. What a performance. One of the greats, Bob. One of the greats. <laughs> oh, give the Lord a hand of praise. Funny, but true. Because we've come into a place, especially within our culture of today, where we look at things through the perspective of our own experience. And so many times what we do is we say, well, you were a drug addict or you were a gang member, just put your addiction to Jesus. Or you were a gang member, just put your loyalty to Jesus. Or you love football, just come and you know, cheer for Jesus the way you cheer for football. Right? And so we've kind of taken that and we flipped it over to kind of uh, get us in that uh, mindset of the starting line. The problem is, we, you know, we kind of say, do whatever you got to do to get them started. The problem is, we continue like that. And we continue with church in the same way. So that's why it becomes very difficult and you're fighting battles and spirits. Even while you're here, some of you are like, man, I want to watch the Niner game. Oh, i got to go in the Niner game. It's like, oh, man. We used to have a guy who come to our church, we call him Shieldhead. You know why we call him Shieldhead? Because he was really Shieldhead from the Raider fans. They have a top 10 Raider fan list. He was number nine on the top 10 Raider fans. I don't know if you've ever seen him before. If you're a Raider fan, you have seen Shieldhead. Most have. You've seen Darth Raider, right? You've seen the Spike guy. Well, one of them is Shield Head. He has the cape. He's a crazy guy. And we used to really, like, always tell him, like, Drew, come on, man. Like, the Raiders are going to lose because you're not coming to church. <laughs> right? That's what we used to have to tell him. And apparently it worked. Amen. 
Like, bro, come on. Now, I want you to know something. I'm a Niner fan. I love the 49ers. I like them. They're a great team. But I also understand we got Raider fans in here, too. We got some Raider fans. Now, this is the challenge. As Raider fans and as Niner fans, let's be very honest. Both of you stink. Now, don't get all like, well, we, we, we've been to the championship game. What? Some of you Niner fans, you haven't seen a Super Bowl. You, you just were barely born. You still haven't seen a Super Bowl. So stop it. You don't win. You, you're on the hopes of winning. You're on the hopes of it, but you never finish. So I say that because a lot of times when we convert that and we convert that same energy and we convert that same mentality and that same perspective, we do the same thing to God. Oh, God, you almost gave me my raise, but because you didn't, I didn't win. Do you see what I'm saying? Like we've put that in a pattern and we've kind of brought that over into the culture, the holy culture of Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you, listen, that's a separate thing. Listen, we're in this world, but we're not of it. And some of us here this morning, we got to start changing our mindset. We got to start changing the way we do church. You got to start changing the way you go about things. Listen, my friend, we don't say God first and then, you know, family and then the cowboys. No, it's God first, everything else seconds. Are you hearing me? See, we have put a culture where we kind of put, okay, God first, and then we kind of put some priorities, and I want you to know something. Those priorities do switch around a lot of times, and don't look at me like they don't, because sometimes we're like, oh, family second. Some of you, your family gets on your nerves, you put them tense sometimes. So don't be telling me, oh, then family second. No, you don't. You're emotional. You're an emotional being. You go in your emotions. Stop that. You need to put God in his rightful place and don't change him. God is and always and should be number one within your life. There has to be a change. Somebody say change. There were two construction workers. They were out uh, having their construction and all of a sudden... They went on a lunch break, and when they went on a lunch break, two of them were sitting down, and they were sitting down. One opened up his, his lunch box, and he opened it up, and he began to look, and he goes, man, ham sandwich again? The other construction work, worker looked at him and said, well, what do you mean? What's wrong with a ham sandwich? He goes, I hate ham sandwich. I can't stand a ham sandwich. God, I just hate it. So the other construction worker looks at him and he goes, well, why don't you just tell your wife to change it? He says, well, wife, I'm not married. I made this myself. See, the challenge with us is that a lot of the ham, a lot of the bologna, a lot of the cheese that we put that's in our lives, you put it there. We've done that. Nobody else did it. Oh, it's their fault. The, the reason why I didn't go to church is it hurts fault. The reason why I don't give to God is their fault. The reason why I don't really want to attend. The reason why, the reason why. And we point fingers at everybody else. But we're the ones making the lunch. It's on us. And if we do not change the way we look at things, then my friend, this community, this city, the light will grow dimmer. We don't come to church to say, I went to church for two hours, I did my celestial duty, I did my time card, I put it in and I put it out, and I'm good to go now. God really loves me now. I did what I was supposed to do. No, what you're supposed to be is not what you're supposed to do. There's a difference. We're human beings, not human doings. 
And until we fully understand what Christ wants to do and has, has us to become within our lives, it's going to be the same old ham and bologna that's always been served up. As we look at the church here in the, in the church of Acts, it seems like when you read about it, the multiplication and the additions of the early church, it seemed like it was such a perfect church. I mean, souls were being added daily. They were even multiplying, and the church was growing. It looked awesome. And even Greg touched on it last week when you heard it. I mean, it was a great early church. It was a great start. Well, the thing about it is that the early church grew in size, but it also grew in needs. See, the dilemma here lies in the needs. The Bible says in Acts chapter 6 that there was complaining going on over language barriers, distribution of food, and even courage under fire. There were needs. So if all these needs were happening and all these people were coming, what was the solution that the apostles came up with with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Acts chapter 2 verse 46, you can write it down. It says this, it says, And they continually, daily with one accord, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Some of your translations say, and agape. Acts chapter 5 verse 42 says, And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 20, verse 20 says, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and also from house to house. So what did the early church do? They gathered together in the temple, and they also gathered together from house to house. Look at your neighbor and say, house to house. See, the way that the early church was able to spread the gospel was through their own life groups. They had their very own life. Connection happened, not just in the temple, not just publicly, but even privately. See, in other words, well, you're probably saying, well, pastor, what do you mean? What are you saying? What I'm saying is that church is not over when we say amen at the end of this gathering. That's not when church is over. Matter of fact, church is never over as long as you're breathing. Somebody's got to write that one down. That was a good one right there. Facebook, Instagram, there you go. Church is never over as long as you're breathing. Why? You're the church. You're the church. You're the one that God has called to carry this vision. God has called to carry the gospel. And if you and I grab a hold of what God wants to do within our lives, then my friend, it's going to be a whole lot more than what we're doing. It's who we've become. We have become men and women of God. Can I hear an amen? See, the, what the early church did is they brought the temple together with the house together. In other words, they didn't separate the two. It wasn't just, oh, I like going to church in the morning time and that's when I do good. No, no, no. It was, I go to church to celebrate what has been happening in my houses. I go to church. See, this is a Sunday morning celebration of the sales that have been happening in your house. Are, are you hearing me? See, this is very important because in the early church, what was happening, there were so many people coming to the church. So many people, thousands were getting added, and the Bible says even multiplied. So in other words, they were like, man, what, what do we do? We got all these people. We can't just keep them in this building. The building's not big enough. I know. Let's absorb them through the cells, through the church. 
So what did they do? They were in harmony. Somebody say harmony. Somebody say harmony. They were in rhythm. The rhythm is going to get you. Now, that's my prayer. I hope it gets you. Myself, I'm a, I'm a drummer, right? I, I, I love, I've been playing drums since I was 16 years old. And uh, uh, my parents got me a drum set because I used to bang on everything. I mean, I would bang. I would be in the car, 14 years old. And my mom would be like, stop. And be like. Right? I just I'd bang on everything. So finally, at 16 years old, my mom's like, I'm done. Here's a drum set. So I was like, yeah. I felt like Animal from the Muppets. And then my mom's like, oh, my gosh, what did I do? Because I put it in my room, right? So I'd go in my room. I'd be banging away. And then finally my mom's like, oh, my God, what did I do? So then she goes, here, I feel the Lord speaking to me. Here's some pads, right? So I had to put some silence pads on all of them, right? And for me, I was like, ah, oh, because I can't hear anything. I can't feel anything. So I used to like, I, I mean, I hit it. Hard, and I knew it'd be like midnight. I'd be in my room, like, oh man! I, but I couldn't hear anything. All I, all I would just hear is like a little muffled. Oh. But I keep hitting it, keep hitting it, keep hitting it. Till finally, it kind of you know sticks enough. You keep hitting it enough. You, you hit one spot enough, it breaks through. That's for somebody right there. Hitting it, hitting it, hitting it, hitting it. Hitting it. Finally, finally, I'm like, yes, and I just. Man, I just, I loved, I don't know what it was, but it was something about hitting all the toms, and it is, oh, man, it just, it gave me that, you know, just feeling inside that for me was like, this is what I like. Now, it actually started because what had happened in the church, I kind of, I don't know what it is. I guess God just gave it to me, but I, I don't like clapping off beat, just a personal thing, right? It's just a personal thing. You know, here in, in you know, Victory Outreach, we do this a lot. Matter of fact, even Bishop Macklin checked this one time because we do everything on the one, right? Uh, I'm going to teach you guys a little bit of rhythm right now, okay? Uh, for, for drummers and things of that nature, they, they do everything in measures, one measure, two measure, three measure, four measure. You know, they do everything in four count, eight count, 16 count. And so a lot of times we'll be like, I know it was the blood, I know it was the blood, I know it was the blood, right? That's how we clap. But for a drummer, oh, kind of like gets me on my nerves. Like, I, I, I'm going to be honest, some, you know, sometimes I do feel like turning around and go, stop it! Because, you know, I know it was the blood, I know it was the blood, I know it was the blood. That's a di there's different. That's the two. Because, but we clap on the one. We're like, I know, like, it's kind of like the rhythmless nation. I know it was the blood, I know it was the blood, I know. Some of you guys understand what I'm talking about, right? If you don't, don't worry about it. Go to a life group. We'll explain it to you. Amen. <laughs> but so when, when I would play drums, I just, I had to have, can you guys still hear me? Okay, so I just, I know I got a bad knee, but don't worry about it. Anyway, I'm playing with the other knee. Don't worry about it. All right. Ah, that hurt. Okay. I haven't played in a long time, so forgive me. I know it was a... 
one day when I was lost, he died upon that cross. I know it was the blood for me. Breaking it down, I know it was the blood. I know. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But what it is, is that they both go together. I can't just have, I know it was the blood, I know. Eventually, you do this enough times, it's annoying. It's like annoying. And then if I already, I know it was the blood, I know it was the blood, I know it was the blood for me. Like, ow, that gets annoying. But when you do it right, I know it was the blood, I know it was the blood. together. See, the problem is many times we come to church, and when we come to church here in this service gathering, all we're doing is one of them. We're just doing the kick. I boom, 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 boom. And it's good, and it has its place. However, without the snare, the other part, it doesn't sound right. See, and some of you, you think you sound good, but you're only coming to church just on one. That's it. And you think, I did my celestial duty. There's no harmony. It's not coming together. We need the gatherings of the saints in the temple, and we also need the private house to house. It's very important. So just don't look, and, and you're always looking, man, well, did she go to church? Then you're only looking at one aspect of the whole church. It needs to be together. Look at your neighbor and say, together. And if you catch this, and if you really get it, then my friend... The rhythm is gonna get you. Rhythm is gonna get you. Rhythm. Now that's a whole nother thing. I could talk about music too. That's a whole nother thing. Because music, whether you like it or not, music makes you feel something in a certain way, irrelevant of how you're feeling at this very moment. One of these days I'll, I'll do a whole thing on music. That, that'll get you because music has already got you. It's just a matter of which way is it taking you. That's all it is. Rhythm is gonna get you. Rhythm is gonna get you. So you guys are gonna go back. Oh man, you should have went, dude. Our pastor was he was preaching on Gloria Stefan. It was tight, yeah. <laughs> My sister's a dancer, just in case some of you guys are like, how's he like that? I just we love dancing too. But what did the what did the apostles do? They met in houses. They met in homes. This should not be the only time you attend service. Don't let this be the only time you gather together and say, okay, I did it. See, what they did, this is where in a smaller meeting, leadership and giftings can be expressed without limitations. See, here in this, this gathering, we're limited on the amount of people that can sing. We're limited on the amount of people that can usher. We're limited about the, on the amount of people that can come behind the pulpit. But in a life group, unlimited. Go for it. You all could sound like Mariah Carey, even though you can't carry a note. Just go for it. Just sing. Because in life groups, that's what it does. It allows your giftings to be expressed even beyond. Some of you, I know, you have aspirations to come and preach behind this pulpit. Well, before you preach behind the pulpit, get in your life group. Teaching your life. That's where we can see the leadership. A lot of times people always ask, how can I be a leader in this church? You want to know how? Start in your life group. 
Get in the light. That's what the apostles did. That's how they found out Priscilla and Aquila. That's how they found out, hey, what was going on? There were so many times where they were able to gather together in a large but also in a smaller setting. Leadership was being shown. Leadership was in this small church setting. There was even a few uh, folks in the book of Acts who had small churches. In Acts chapter 17, you'll read about Jason and Thessalonica. He had a house church. Philip's house in Caesarea, where he had a radical folks, would come to his home. Lydia's house in Philippi. Aquila and Priscilla, they made their home a place of a life group wherever they lived. So wherever they moved, they had their own life group. Wherever they went, they had a life group. Even the jailer's house. Remember when the jailer got saved? Remember that? With Paul and Silas? His house even became an evangelistic center where people would come in. And when they would want to preach the gospel and they came out from the outside, they would stay at the jailer's house. Can you imagine? Like, I know some of you have been to jail. Just a few of you have. But can you imagine your warden becoming the house where when people would come in to preach the gospel, they stay at the warden's house. That's what happened here. That's how powerful things were. You know the power of God is happening when the jailer gets saved. That's something. And that's what happened here in the book of Acts. Also in the homes is where they would receive instruction. Somebody say instruction. Teachings would come forth like glasses so that they can see a whole lot better. The blurred vision would all of a sudden become clear. See, because sometimes in a larger setting like this, it's very hard to totally comprehend every word that is shared. I know that even many times whenever you hear the preacher from the, behind the pulpit, sometimes you feel like raising your hand, uh, Pastor, I got a question. Pastor, what did you mean? Pastor, what about that? And so in a large gathering, it's sometimes fairly difficult. But in a small gathering, hey, uh, Brother Greg, I got a question. You know, Pastor said to shake your hand. Can I shake your hand? You know, I got a question. You know, how come, how come the pastor's not wearing a tie? I thought you were supposed to wear ties in church. What do they mean by giving? I thought you were supposed to, you know, giving, like, what is 10%? 10% ties, like a tie or tithe? I, I don't really fully understand. And so many times you have a lot of questions. And so in a large setting, it's fairly difficult to ask. But in a smaller setting, and the apostles knew this. The apostles understood this. So they said, man, if we're going to be able to preach this gospel even beyond, because you got to remember, they didn't have microphones. They didn't have sound systems. So sometimes when they would preach, and they'd be preaching to thousands, maybe not all thousands could hear way in the back. Even though they were very quiet, they couldn't hear everything. So I'm sure that some of the people had questions. Well, what about this? What about that? And they couldn't go directly to the apostles so they said, man, how are we going to do this? I know. Let's get in houses and let's give them the instruction. Uh, when I was in uh, Bible school, they called the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving earth. You guys remember that? And that's what you could do when you're in a life group, in that small connection. You get your basic instructions before leaving earth. See, when you're in a smaller setting, it becomes a little bit more intimate and there becomes a better focus. Also, what they did is they, the Bible says that they fellowshiped and they, break, uh, they were breaking of bread. It says that they were taking meals together with gladness and sincerity in their hearts. Now, I don't know about you, but wherever there's food, there's a smile on this face. Right? That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that they were going around to different houses. And the, I, I, I guess just you walk into houses and you see food and yay. Feels good. 
It was funny because we last night we were standing in line to wait to go into the Texas Roadhouse. We were able to celebrate Pastor Elias and Alice's 40-year anniversary. It was, it was last month, but it was like, hey, when you get 40 years, you can celebrate as long as you want. That's awesome. We'll, we'll celebrate again next, next month. Texas Roadhouse, we're going again. All right. Yeah. 40 years is awesome. That's just great. So we're standing in line, right, about to eat food. We're getting there, like, can smell it. And then Matt and Shana walk up, and Matt's like, hey, I shake his hand. And he goes, hey, did you hear that they're opening a Buffalo Wild Wings right here? My face lit up even more. Really? Like, I'm in line for food, and the moment he talks about food, I get even happier. I don't know what it is, because we're weird humans like that. We're eating, like, we could be eating enchiladas, right? We're just eating, eating, and all of a sudden goes, somebody goes, man, have you ever had that burger from Val's? Val's? Oh, those are so good. <laughs> food brings gladness to the hearts. It just does. I feel like having a cooking cell group, <laughs> a cooking life group. I'll be there every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. Where's Loretta? I feel like Loretta, where's Loretta at right now? I can get her cooking. We got to get her back. She can cook. The Bible says that what they would do is they would break bread. And you know what it is? The Bible says it called it an agape meal. You know what the agape meal was? It was the Lord's Supper. That's actually where they took communion. It wasn't that, see, a lot of times we come to church and say, man, when are they going to have communion? I remember even somebody came at me with an attitude one time. This was like two years ago. They came at me with like an attitude. They're like, pastor, we haven't done communion. First I thought about it. I was like, wow, we haven't done communion. But then like I wanted to go right back at them and go, well, go get some bread. You know, that's what I wanted to do. Because <laughs> they really did come at me like, like that, like for real. Like, we had Pastor we had communion with the whole, like, nose, you know, flaring like a pig. You know, that's cold, huh? That's cold. Don't flare your nose and it won't happen. And so I was like, man, but I really did think about that. And then as I began to study this, I go, oh, my gosh. Where they actually broke bread and had the Lord's Supper wasn't in the temple gatherings. It was at the houses. You heard it earlier from Pastor Toby. He said that where we're going to be actually be having baptisms, because a lot of times we have the baptisms right there. And I know some of you, maybe you haven't been baptized, and we haven't had baptisms in a long time. Listen, I want to uh, challenge you right now. You want to get baptized? You want to make a choice? Don't wait for us to have it here. Go into the life group and let them baptize you there. That's where they were having it. They were having it in the houses. They didn't wait and say, oh, the church, man. The church ain't doing this. The church ain't doing that. Well, if you want to know what the church should be doing, go into a life group. You're the church, and you make that happen. That's where it was happening. That's how they were able to absorb all the thousands of people that were coming to church. It wasn't just here. It was here because it started here. I want to challenge you here as Victory Outreach Heart of the Bay, or if you're even visiting for the very first time and you're saying, I like that church. You know what you're saying? You're really saying that you're starting to like yourself a whole lot better. Really, that's what you're saying. Like, man, I, I 
feel like I should be in the right place at the right time. This church has always been here, but now you're starting to realize that God has always had a plan for you. God has always had a purpose for you. And so now you're saying, you know what, I need to get myself in the right place. Okay, I, wanna, I want you to know this. This is not the ending place. This is not the ending place. I want to challenge you. Find a life group where you could study the Bible. Find a place where that leadership can grow in you. Find that place where you're going to be able to get that instruction. Find the place where you can be able to break bread. And then the last thing that the apostles were able to do within their life groups is they were able to evangelize and spread the gospel all over the regions. Evangelism. They were adding to their numbers by preaching the good news. Romans chapter 10 verse 15 says, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? It's one of my favorite scriptures. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Some of you ladies want a pedicure? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. That's the cure. That's what was happening here. Because the Bible says that all the needs that they had, because widows had needs, orphans had needs, uh, had needs, the women had needs, and all these things. But guess where they were being met? In the life group. Because they were bringing everything together. I like uh, Art Maricela. He said, you know what we're going to focus on? We're going to focus on finances. Man, if there's any group that you know, needs to have it within our church, it's that one. Because a lot of us here in this place, we come to church and we go, yay, all right, it was good, it was a great church. But then you go back home right to that big old debt and you avoid it. And you figure, as long as I avoid the debt, it won't look at me. I want you to know something, that thing looks at you all the time. You need to change the way you look at it. you got to change your mindset. How are you going to change it? Get in a life group. Get connected. So you're wondering, man, how's that going to happen? Well, man, we need to bring more people to the church. Yes, let's get them to your house first. Evangelize through the life groups. Get them in there. Many were added to the church. 3,000 the first time. 5,000 soon after. The church expanded the vision. But how did they absorb the growth? Jesus had modeled for more than three years the structure through which large numbers could be integrated into the church. Just like a family unit, the cell of 12. With an inner circle of Peter, James, and John could absorb large numbers and effectively care for the people. This is why they went from house to house daily. This was the context through which the number of new believers could be cared for, taught, and absorbed into the original group of believers. The small group meetings in homes gave the first century church a way to absorb and nurture growth that was four or five times larger than the core congregation. In addition to the home churches, large group gatherings provided a way for the apostles to bring them together in special events. The world could now see their unity, the gospel could be shared, and the vision of reaching the world could now be cast. As they come to the panel here this morning, I want to challenge you. For those of you that think that I went to church, I came to church, I did my Celestial duty. I did what I was supposed to do. Now, as a pastor of this church, I'm very excited, very glad that you're able to meet with us here on this Sunday morning. And there have been some things that obviously are coming around within the uh, America now that things are starting to look a little crazier now. Kind of everything that guy talked about in 1965, it's really starting to happen. And remember back then, this stuff wasn't relevant to what was happening back then. So now, you know, we're starting to see a lot more things take place, a lot of crazier things. Even recently, somebody within our church, they received a letter 
saying you can't be having excessive noise and you got too much, you're, you're having a church in your house. They received a letter because they were having Bible study. They said, you can't do that. There was a pastor in Anaheim. He got a ticket for $1,200. He said, this is the first fine. After this, it becomes $12,000 if you have Bible study in your house again. So the reason why I'm saying this is because what I'm talking about right here is very important. This is very important. As I was reading this book, there was, it was sharing about a, 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 a group of church that I think they had about, I want to say it was uh, either 2,000 people or around that, 2,000 people within their church. This was in a communist country. And in this communist country, all of a sudden they were told to, you can't have church anymore. You cannot have church. This was back in the, I want to say the 60s. So that's it. The government came in and controlled their every move. Kind of sounds like a little bit of where we're going now. Controlled their every move. And so one of their controlled moves was you cannot gather together anymore. No more. So then as the decades went on, I believe in the 80s, they, uh, the, the communism was lifted. And they were able to come together. So after years of coming together, they started out with 2,000. Finally, a few of the leaders decided to gather together. And what they did was they said, why don't you call all the people who've been meeting these past few years? Because even though they couldn't meet in a building, they still continued to have church in their houses. As years went by, I think I want to say about 15 or 17 years, somewhere around there, 17 years went by, they went from 2,000 people to 50,000 people. Say, so, well, how did that happen? It's because they continued to meet in houses. They continued to meet in groups. They didn't deny the fellowship. They didn't deny the instruction. They didn't deny the leadership. They didn't deny the community. And they didn't deny the evangelism. Matter of fact, they got even bigger. Now, as you read the book of Acts, I didn't have time to really get into it. But you know how this revival started? In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit came. But you know what happened? Persecution came to the church. That's how revival happened. Read it for yourself. Persecution started happening. Stephen, come on, Stephen. They, I guess you could say, beheaded Stephen. Stoned him. Beat him. It's happening right now. We're seeing it on the news. It's nothing, you know, that we're, we're kind of seeing. I know we're thinking, man, this is new. It actually wasn't new. It's been happening. But this is actually how the church grew. The church finally got a voice. and said, hey, tired of this stuff. When's somebody going to raise up and do something about it? The apostle said, I know. They want to try to stop us? I got a great idea. Come to my house. Philip said, come to my house. Priscilla and Aquila said, come to my house. Jason said, come to my house. They said, come to my house. They, they may try to stop it that way, but they're not going to stop it this way. 
come to my house. We're going to have life right here, right now. And we're going to see the power of the Holy Ghost happen in my house. Listen to me. I know that some of you think that when you come to church, you're going to come to the altar and you're going to get your healing. I want you to know you can go to your house. You can go to your couch. You can go to your kitchen and you can receive the power of the Holy Ghost in your house. You just don't have to wait for it here. Listen to me, life group leaders, life group ministers. Tonight, if somebody comes to your house and they say, I want to give my life to God. You know what I want to challenge you? Go find a pool and go baptize them. Baptize them. Don't wait. Don't wait for us to open up the doors and say, okay, now it's the ceremony. Listen, I love this ceremony. I love coming together. I love gathering together. I think it's great. I think it's awesome. I think it has its place. But too much of it, poof, 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 poof. It's just like, ugh, come on. Well, we need to get the rhythm. We need to get in step. Give me the boom, pap, spoon, pap, spoon, pap. It's got to come together. Just don't think it's all going to happen here. No, my friend. Salvation can happen in your house. When we come together, this is celebration of what has been happening at your house. My first ever encounters with the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way was in life group. That's where God really did a work in me as a leader. To be a leader was in life group. I did life group for years. Years, even when I didn't want to go to life group. My parents used to force me, you're going. Then I became a leader. Even sometimes when I didn't feel like leading, God said, shut up. Get in there. You're leading. Okay, God, I'll go. That's just the way God talks to me. Maybe he talks to you differently. Maybe he's like, oh, please, can you go? Maybe God doesn't talk to me like that. God talks, you know, you know shut up. Man. What's wrong with you? What's your problem? Get out there. Oh, man. And I thank God for those times. Where the Lord would just correct me and rebuke me, even through the word. God revealed to me, oh man, just I had some of the most powerful prayer meetings in a house. Listen, I know that you're thinking, oh man, we're gonna have a great prayer meeting when we come together. The only way that we're gonna have a powerful prayer meeting here is if you have a powerful prayer meeting there. See, you bring that here. You want to know why I think that sometimes, because I know some of you will come up to me and you go, man, pastor, that was a great message. That was a powerful message. You know why I think it's because you've been praying out there. It had nothing to do with me. It had to do with what you brought over here. And the power of God, it just kind of faith connected and came in harmony. And the power of God moved and ministered. I want to challenge you. For those of you, life group ministers, you know what you're supposed to do. For those of you that you're not connected I want to challenge you get connected find one and if you're in a city outside of even the parameters of what you heard here from San Lorenzo San Leandro all the way down to Union City and you say I even live outside of that I want to challenge you go on our website find a church in your area and get connected there it's important that's how important it is. I don't even care if you don't come to this uh, to the gatherings that we have with the life groups if you only come here on Sundays because you like it praise the Lord but if you need to gather throughout the week it's important it's so important. I don't care about numbers being added here. I want numbers added there in heaven. That's important. And the way it's going to grow is that you got to go to a place and grow there. 
Some of you have got some, some issues that you know need to be dealt with, and I can come and I can pray with you here, and I could take some time here, but to be very honest, some of you need a lot longer than 10 minutes, right? You need, I need it a lot longer. I'll never forget, man. Never forget. Thank God for Pastor Eddie. He prayed with me for almost two hours. Never forget that time. Two hours just prayed at a house because I needed it. I cried for two hours because I needed it. I was going through it as a young PK. I was like 16 years old, 17 years old. Man, I was going through it. Gosh, I was going through it. And I came to church, and, you know, it was great, it was good, hallelujah, praise the Lord, but I just, I needed something else. So I went to the life group, never forget, man, prayed, prayed, and prayed, and prayed, and prayed. And then when I came to church, I became less critical. See, that's why sometimes, if you're like with PKs, it's just the natural way we are. Ministry people, that's the natural way we are. Sound is off, the lights are off. It's too hot. It's too cold. They didn't shake my hand. You know, we're just critical people. It's the way that it is. Come to, you've been to church for too long. It's a problem. It's an issue. So that's how I was. So there in, in the house, never forget. And when I came to church, everything changed. I didn't see church the same way. I didn't see like, well, they're out to get me. I didn't see, well, he's got problems. What's he doing on the pulpit? I didn't see, well, oh, their family's all broken. Why is he a leader? I, I didn't see that anymore. Why? Because I took the time just there and say, God, change me. Rearrange me. I need to see you in a whole different light. And it didn't happen just here. This was a part of it. But it happened at a house. I just got there. I said, Lord, speak to me. Do something different in my life. So I want to challenge you. If you come here and you come to church and we have our altar calls, man, make them a part of who you are. However, this is not where it ends. This is just one part of the boom, bam. Boom, bam. I pray when you come here, you feel the boom. But when you go there, you feel the Bow your heads. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would touch the hearts, minds, bodies, and souls of God. Of every man and woman that is here, speak to your people like never before. In Jesus' name. This is what I want to do. I want you to stand with me here.